I've closed the loop on, on saying no, because, you know, we talked about you, you, you taste as many things until you close the loop and you get that undeniable, you know, result that people want to come back over and over again and tell everyone and they know about it. Like when you get to that feedback uh, on what you're delivering as a service, you go all in on that and say no to everything else. That's what allows you to start scaling. The Strive for More podcast will resonate with those that strive for more in any aspect of their lives. Follow along on one man's journey on the path to a meaningful life through long-form interviews with everyone from successful entrepreneurs, artists, physicians, leading scientists, social media influencers, and professional athletes. This episode of the Strive for More podcast is brought to you by the Strive Accelerator, which is a weekly mastermind group for entrepreneurs. So if you're not seeing the success you want, or you're searching for a community of like-minded business owners, then send an email to jared at striveaccelerator.ca to book a call and learn more. Our next guest has a passion for business development in the digital age. He began his career in marketing and business development at Apple, where he helped businesses grow and connect with new customers through cutting-edge digital strategies. Today with Juicebox, the company that he founded in 2011, he helps insurance agencies and brokers compete and thrive in an internet-connected and mobile-driven world of commerce by implementing personalized marketing strategies that focus purely on increasing clients' revenues and profits. Please welcome to the show, Jim Fisher. My friend, Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, I'm pretty excited about this. Awesome. Just a couple of guys going for a good chat. There you go. As far as your business is concerned, you started off a decade ago as a marketing agency, but you worked with everybody. You worked with people like Amazon and Apple and Ferrari. I'm wondering, how did you start to niche down to where you are today, which is really just working with insurance agents and brokers? It was a constant process of reflection on what was the real business I was in and more importantly, like what's the value that my clients receive? Not what they think they're receiving, what they say they want, they think they want, but what actually is sustainable, objective, and true. And you know, working for the big guys, they would, you know, most of the things that they they say they want um, are really a facade of what that individual wants, maybe for their career outcomes or something else, right? All natural and understandable why they would, you know, ask for those things. And, you know, they want this thing to happen in social media or the website to look this way because it's something that they can, you know, maybe create a badge of honor with. And so for me, that was why I had to ask the question, you know, what do they really want and in, in ultimately what do they need? What, what, is, what is the real objective that everyone should be after? And, and it was always results. It was some type of measurable result. And I'm not saying that these other things like branding and design don't matter, but it's so hard to quantify um, the outcomes of those, especially in a short-term period of time. And so the process was me saying, what do they actually want? What can we both really get excited about and feel good about? And the journey just led me down that path. And, and, and the refinement of who I worked with was one of, of asking myself, well, can I deliver against that uh, undeniable result-driven outcome? And, and I say undeniable is like that we could both, without any of our biases from the side of the table that we're sitting at, could we, could we both just know that this worked. And uh, that's that's the business I wanted to be in, the results economy. 
And so um, it was both how do we do what we do and who do we do it for that we had to continually kind of iterate on until we got to this place where we are now with an insurance that it's very clear. It's measurable. We know that when you give us a dollar um, completely invested into our system and the advertising we deploy for you, we can turn it into five, seven, ten, some clients, even twenty dollars out in revenue and some derivative of profits for our clients. This is going to be a layman's question, but do you think that the results that you're talking about and that more vague marketing that I think us outsiders are aware of, you know, the Harley Davidson logo and branding and culture, are those mutually exclusive, what you're doing and what they did, or is there a crossover there? No, I would say there's definitely a crossover that branding, the identity, who you are in the eyes of your customer and how does, you know, some people hear brand and they immediately, I would, you know, the layman um, would think logo, right? Brand, but brand is really, you know, what does the consumer population uh, believe to be true about you on their behalf, right? And so that I believe that the best way to build a brand is to deliver uh, an experience through you know, you, the, the result through, through a transaction that you want to build a brand, um, have more customers and create a universal experience among more customers. And that will become your brand. I think, I think what happens a lot of times when you see these big businesses, these big brands, these, these logos in the marketplace that have such a consistent meaning to the broad population of consumers, we forget the journey that got them there. And so small businesses, which is, you know, all, you know, for a long time and now even today coming full circles who I work with, they try to put the cart before the horse. And so I think, I think the purpose of, you know, whether it's a brand exercise and brand development, brand strategy uh, versus the, the type of stuff that we focus on, which is, you know, out performance-based marketing, outcome driven, $1 in, $5 out in revenue, $1 invested, $5 in, in, in revenue generated from that campaign, direct performance measurement. The difference between the two is sequential. When do you do which one? When does one matter more than the other? And one kind of works in parallel. And over time, you, you know, these big, the biggest companies in the world, their positioning in many cases becomes one more of defense than offense, right? How do we protect what we stand for rather than create it? Is it hard to only control that lead flow but then not control anything after that point. And does that, do the great results that your clients see, does that come about because there's so many leads as opposed to what those clients are actually executing on? Or it's a mixture of both. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the answer uh, to it is, is that we actually do manage the, both the generation of the lead and then how, how that lead is handled in the service experience that is delivered to that lead from our client so that they would both have a, a quality experience and, and more importantly for the business outcome that it would lead to uh, you know a productive transaction for both parties. And so we have to, that, that's one of the reasons we've gotten so niched down is because we have to understand the complete customer journey from problem that the prospect has in the marketplace to purchasing the solution and the products that our clients offer. And, and we've had to manage every step along that journey and train our clients on it and, 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 you know, first understand ourselves to be more effective at training them on the proven way to create that compelling experience 
that allows that prospect to move forward and ultimately make a buying decision. So it isn't just the leads. It isn't just that quantifiable front end, but it's the, it's the qualitative process between we got a lead. We have somebody's information that's virtually raised their hand and said, I'm interested. Now, what do we do, do with them and how do we handle that relationship and nurture it in such a way that consistently will produce a beneficial outcome for, for both parties, that prospect and our client's business. What does that process look like then? It has to do with the mindset um, of, of, of our client, right? The agent and how they communicate, what their intention is. You know, one of the biggest things that, that you know, you, you wouldn't suspect because this is, you know, at the end of the day, a sales interaction, but you wouldn't expect the training to be focused on, on service. You know, so many people know sales to be persuasion and convincing. And it's like pushing somebody towards the end outcome of a decision to buy something. And what we've actually found to be way more um, effective is is just a position of service and leadership is to uncover a real need um, in their prospect that your product would marry up to be the the solution. You know, we we often say to our clients and we teach them this philosophy that people don't buy things that make sense. They buy solutions to real problems that they're fully aware of and have an intense desire to solve. And our clients, the sales professional in this interaction, it is their responsibility to build up that client's awareness of their problem and therefore their desire to solve it and, and do so do so with urgency so that their life could be better off with these products in, in their financial plan in, you know, for the context of what they do for, for their, their clients. And, and so we, we really teaching them first, how do we think about working with these people? We don't, we're not actually trying to convince them. We're trying to uncover a real need, much like a doctor is not going to try to, um, convince you that you have knee pain so they can resolve it. They're going to try to diagnose whether you actually have the pain and the specific type of pain that this surgery or this therapy or this treatment. And so we treat our clients to be very diagnostic in uncovering real need and then presenting the solution and, and to that, to that need. And the cool thing about it is, and what makes it so much more enjoyable for our clients to work within this sales philosophy of just being service oriented uh, being compelling rather than convincing, pulling people into something better for them rather than pushing something at them that maybe just be good for the salesperson, right? To to be more diagnostic is is um, um, is also uh, agreeing to the reality that you can't help everybody, and and you're just going to see if you are the type of person that I can help, and and if if that winds up being true, then we're both going to be delighted to walk that path together in realizing that solution to their, to their, you know, the problem that they're fully aware of with the products that, you know, the agent can offer. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really first about a mindset and then, then the, yes, there's a tactical approach and skill set. It says once you have the right uh, idea of what you're trying to do, which is to serve them and diagnose a real need and present a solution to that need once uncovered, well, then how do you do that? What's the language you use? What are some scripts? What are, um, you know, the tools just like, um, you know, if you, if you're going to build a house, you don't just need the, the hammer, you know, the, the blueprint, the, the wood and the nails, you need to know what to do with all those tools as well. So not only do we present the tools, but we train the use of them so that they are, you know, leveraged in an authentic way that that prospect would feel taken care of and led, um, and served, um, to, to a mutually beneficial outcome, which is, you know, a better financial plan for them. If I had knee pain, I know the test that I would have to get in order to figure out if something is pathologic or not. 
the parallel to the customer experience and understanding your customer, what is the test or how do you figure out what that customer's pain point is? Well, normally there's context that starts the conversation. So it's important to clarify, you know, their point of view on that context. And what I mean is the marketing that we put out in the, in, in, you know, online in the digital environments that we place ads for our clients to generate these, these prospects is going to start the context. But what we don't know for sure is what did that piece, that education mean to that prospect as an individual? So the conversation usually starts is, you know, what motivated you to, to reach out, to connect with us? And so you can start to dial in is what is most desirable to them? What is this future state that they wish to obtain? And from there, um, we can start to uncover and agitate whether there's, you know, are you, do, do you, you know, you go to the knee pain example, well, we can ask some questions and we start to diagnose, well, do you have a, a real, um, an apparent and acute need that needs to be solved sooner than later? Um, you know, or is it just that? Uh, oh, the simple thing is, is like, uh, you, you know, you, you probably aren't stretching or you probably aren't doing some of these basic things. And I can just, you know, give you, uh, ask a few questions, give you a quick tips. And it's, it's fairly, um, small in, in, uh, your need, your problem, your pain is fairly easy to resolve. And so what we're going to do through a diagnostic process, once we say, well, what motivated you here? Hey, I want this outcome. Great. You know, and we can ask more questions to uncover Well, is this something that's pretty important to you? And, and, and therefore would, you would want to resolve now and commit to a process to explore that? Or is this just, uh, you know, something that seemed cool and, and you just wanted some information, but it's not something worth pursuing. And, and, you know, like I said, you, you know, somebody could come in and say, my knee hurts and you can realize that they aren't stretching or maybe they just need to lose some weight or there's a, uh, you know, uh, an existence of a, of a pervasive issue that needs some type of therapy or surgical intervention. Um, and it's no different um, when we look at the sales processes to actually go deep and understand what motivates them and then um, whether this is a, a challenge that needs to be resolved, you know, with urgency or not and, and how important it is. And then what is their capacity to pursue it as well? Because some people, you know, may want an outcome, but, but don't have the, the building blocks that are required to get there, financially speaking. How do you make that process of uncovering the pain for a customer, how do you make that number one actionable at scale, which is what you're doing? And then number two, how do you sort through all of the noise and get to the genuine pain? Because I might tell you my pain as a customer in your domain is that I want to ensure that my kids can, you know, pay for my funeral, but, but maybe that's not actually it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, if I could uh, zoom out just a bit and just say, like, if you are trying to, it, it really comes down to having that belief that you're here to to serve someone. And the way that you, um, if you believe that, then you're not going to stay on the surface because you can only push people along and convince them of things without context of what does this mean to you. And so it really comes to asking enough questions to create an individualized recommendation or or present a relevant plan to them. And so regardless of what sale you're in, whether we're talking about our clients who are in, in you know, insurance or how my sales team works, you know, for the company that brings on insurance agents or really anybody listening to this, it comes down to, to being diagnostic 
and and asking those deeper questions and the way that you get to the depth of 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 understanding that you need to have with a prospect is is what you how you start the conversation and and set your agenda and let them know your intention is to is to uncover a real real need and with that understanding maybe recommend one of our solutions or for your sake maybe point you in a better direction because all I care about is helping you be better off and if it's not with me I'm completely okay I'm not going to waste your time or sell you something you don't need. I really just have your best interest at heart. And the way I'm going to understand what's best for you with my expertise and experience is to is to ask you a few questions, maybe have a friendly interrogation here, and ultimately in the service of, 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 of your best outcome, regardless of who it's with um, and what product it is, you know. And, and I think that is what we've taught people to do. That's what we teach our, our clients to do. That's what I teach my team to do. That's what I did, you know, earlier in my career as a professional, you know, in sales is to is to realize money earned ethically is a byproduct of value creation. And I have to be valuable. To be valuable, I have to be resonant to that individual. So I have to understand where they're at, what they want, and then determine objectively, not with my bias or what's good for me, objectively, can I help them get more of what they want by working with me? using my products or my services, you know, and, and these principles are universal regardless of the sale, right? I mean, you can have, you know, less certain, certain products and whatever that is, you don't need to go to this depth. Um, but, but I would argue that, you know, the more Tide understands this, the more moms will buy their detergent um, because they're aligning the true outcomes that they want. Then that's when you, that's comes full circle back to the big branding conversation. People buy because they identify with that aspirational outcome that your product makes them feel they achieve, right? I'm a better mom because I use Tide, right? That, that, that's, that's, you know, the same thing playing out in the big brand as, as well as just my, you know, micro situation of an individual sales interaction. I think the sense that I get and knowing you and the company is that you're coming at this from really genuinely a place of service, from a place of leadership. Why is that the approach that you've taken? Why do you care about that? Well, I, I, I'm an accidental sales professional um, and, <laughs> and, you know, I just an accident. Yeah. I didn't come out, you know, I didn't come out, uh, you know, early in my career and choose sales or think that that was my calling or whatever. I, I, I happened upon it because I started working for a company where I was hired, didn't know my job was sales and then realized I had a quota to meet and then realized, well, this isn't, this isn't a problem for me because I believe in what I'm offering. And the other, the other great thing, um, about that relationship and that initial sales uh, job that I had was that the company didn't think I should sell to people that didn't see what we saw. They didn't believe they needed what we had. They didn't, you know, we, we literally had, um, a sequence, a, a sales process of understanding the needs. And, and we were, they were completely okay as if I couldn't ask questions to get that, that prospect to say, Oh yeah, yeah. I would love to be able to do more of this, or I would love to have less of this happening. You know, whatever their desires were. If I couldn't meet their desires, then then I didn't have to present any solution to them from our product offering. And it was that freedom to only do what's best for the customer that realized. And and you know, this happened to be. Um, I don't know where they're at right now, but you know, they jockey for the most valuable company in the world, and so it worked. 
it, it was a revelation that I had that you could do good and be the best. You could do right by people. And because, you know, I, I said it before and I said it again, it's it, money or death is a byproduct of value creation. That's not my word. I learned it from a guy named Joe Polish. I don't know where he got it from, but, but there's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's freedom, it's freedom, you know, it's freeing rather that, um, that you could just, you know, have incredible success and do it only by doing right by people. You know, it's long-term thinking. It does take a little bit longer to get up to speed in this type of selling because, um, it's not a brute force model, right? We're old school sales, um, which so many people have built up a tolerance to, um, that they, they avoid. And that's why you hear, you heard me say it in somewhat of a script that I teach people. As I, I say, listen, I'm here to understand whether we can actually help you or not. I'll be the first one to tell you if we can't, because I don't want to sell you something you don't need or waste your time. Those are the two primary objections that anybody has in a sales process is that you're going to try to convince them of something they don't want, um, or in the process of waste their time. Um, and so I realized that, man, you could, you could be successful just by by doing it the right way, the way that people want, you know, cause people love buying things, but hate to be sold. And the reason they love buying things because they love the way the things that they want make them feel. And so if we can find a path to deliver those feelings, those outcomes, enriching their life through financially, spiritually, emotionally with our products and services, then it would be our moral duty to help people see it for themselves, but only if they saw it for themselves, because otherwise we'd be trying to convince them of something. I want to circle back to something that I've heard you say, and that was in order to niche, you have to experiment and you've got to taste a lot of options. Can you expand on that sentiment? Yeah. In the beginning, you got to do a lot of things. If you're trying to build a successful business, step one is not to niche down. Step one is to, is to do as much as you can, because in the beginning, you're often, when you don't have much of a business, you are time rich and money poor. So you have the, the investable asset of your time to test and try a lot of things. And then what you're looking for is closing the loop with feedback. And sometimes it's going to come to you. That's the best way. But many times you have to ask for the feedback from your, your, your customers where you would get to that undeniable truth. When I say undeniable truth of a result, um, one that that makes people come back over and over again and tell everyone they know about it, right? How do you create that result with your product or service? How do you try a lot of things and drive for results, creating that undeniable outcome of, I can't help myself, but just come to this over and over again and tell everyone I know about it. When you do that, like I said, the best way is that you don't have to say anything. People just keep coming back, asking you for more. They want more. They want bigger orders. They want it more frequently and they keep referring people. Well, that's the dream, but you might find it's it's a not too far off that step by just asking and say well why do you like this and you know what 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 would you what do you want more of have you told anybody about this right and you can somewhat interview um but when you get to that point that's where your niche is and so many people they try to and you can try to choose a niche up front but but then you're gonna you don't know which like i proved on my journey you don't know if you're going to be able to get to that undeniable truth of the result that everyone without without bias believes is is true right um and and an example of that is like if you just because you grow a social media following doesn't mean your business um has more sales and that's an example of well there's a result but it's not undeniably 
true in the in the in its benefit to the business in the short term in 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 with an immediate feedback whereas if if you put one dollar in and at the end of 30 days you get five dollars out that's undeniable nobody questions whether uh, whether we achieved the outcome or not and so that's what i mean by the undeniable truth and so that process of niching down if you're starting a business is to is to do as many things until you close the loop where it, it it's it, it, the delivery of the outcome for your client or your customer is um, is the growth engine in itself. And then you should build everything around that. And how do I make that better? How do I make that proliferate more? Um, how do I grow a team around it to impact more people with it? You've obviously done such an incredible job of niching down from, I picture like a funnel, those big organizations that you were originally working with at the top. And now, you know, you've got, you know exactly who your client is. I'm wondering, what do people get wrong about niching besides the pronunciation? <laughs> yeah, right. The niche and the niche. <laughs> yeah. and the niche. Um, I, I think is is people choose it based on some they they, they choose a niche without uh, having a quantifiable result to give to them, and they think that it's purely about the niche. See, the the, the niche is what allows you to scale, right? The niche is, is what allows you to build an asset um, because like you were asking before is like, how do I scale the, you know, this principle driven sales process across all my clients so they on aggregate can, you know, the only reason I can do that is because I only do, I only do one thing for one group of people. And so I know, I know it very deeply. And so I can build assets that can, uh, in a leveraged way, teach that to all those people. So um, but you know, the, back to the, the, to the, to the question is you choose the niche just because it's a good idea. Um, well, that's not going to do anything. You know, it's a good idea. Well, you know, I go into, <laughs> I go into the, uh, the, I'm in, you know, advertising and, you know, um, online and I have an ad agency that, you know, runs Facebook ads and I choose chiropractors or I choose dentists because, well, you know, the average patient to a dentist is worth a good amount of money. So that's the niche I'm going to go in. The problem is, is man, and you've probably heard this, uh, many people listening, you know, that's a red ocean, right? There's a lot of blood in that water, right? There's, there's, a, there's a lot of people competing. And so not only do you have to get good, but you have to compete, right? And you don't have an op opportunity to differentiate yourself. And so that's why it's better to find where you can kind of carve out your own niche, um, by trying a lot of things and where the result becomes so compelling that you don't have to, you know, try to convince people that you're the new kid on the block and you're worth considering. And so I think the biggest mistake is that the people just choose, choose a niche blindly off the bat. And the other thing is that they, then with that, they just choose it based on some criteria as opposed to, you know, testing and trying new things. And, um, you know, in business, I think there's a lot of entitlement, um, you know, they don't, you don't really have this, uh, this empathy to the customer experience and to say, you know, what do I need them to feel? Right. You just think you go back to this, this broken business model. Well, I did these activities. I should get paid. Well, who cares if you did it? Unfortunately, you know, the free market economics says if it doesn't create value, it's not worth anything. Right. And so what I think a lot of people do is that they, they put this, they they do these things in the marketplace that you know there was work involved, but is it valuable? Um, and that's a hard truth to swallow. Um, and that's why it's so much better just to taste a lot of things and let the customer, let the marketplace, let your brand develop through the experience of your customers to say, "I want more of this. 
I, 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 I just told three people about it. Um, and, and how do you orchestrate that process? And if you build from, from that point of view, you can't lose, you can only quit. You can only quit and stop trying and stop tasting new things until you find that place and through, through, you know, feedback, uh, both on demand that just happens because it's so good and it could be bad too. You could get negative feedback to help you, uh, you know, kind of move the ship. So for your first customer in this space, you took a $500 ad spend from them and you turned it into five into $10,000, I should say, in commission for that individual. How did you do that? Basically, the reason they came to me was because I was in a broader segment, uh, just broad, broad scope, all of insurance, right? That would be like you saying, I'm in all of medical. or And so they saw some results and they said, hey, could you do that for me too? They were in a subset of insurance a specific type of life insurance. And so I was like, yeah, get on the, I got on the phone with them and and I, I interviewed them. And because I knew that, you know, sales and marketing is, is a process of, of having a prospect feel understood first. Um, you know, they, we don't want to help them understand. We want to make them feel understood. You know, um, I forget who said this, but a great, a great principle in marketing is to enter the conversation already existing in the mind of the prospect. And that is that, that, that is that inception moment of the prospect says, he's talking to me. They're talking to me. This is for me. Right. And when they feel understood, then the, the, the process from them where they are feeling understood and feeling connected and drawn towards you to making a decision is for that, that prospect to, you know, uh, break through or break away their limiting belief patterns that would prevent them from moving uh, forward and receive or, or allow you to install empowering ones, right? What are the objections that they need to overcome and what are the beliefs that they need to need to feel that you would be uh, the path to pursue to relieve whatever need they have? And I, I explained that, that process to you because that's the process I had to uncover so I could articulate it with, with that agent. And so I said, let's get on the phone. And I started to understand. I was like, what does your product do? And then I, I have a, my skill set, my superpowers to, to garner that empathy, have that empathy uh, for the prospect of this product and say, well, how would they feel about, uh, you know, all these elements of your product and what's most important to them, you know, or the average consumer that would be attracted towards this and to get them to feel understood and then overcome objections and, and, and uh, give them something to pursue and, and make it irresistible and, and so through that interview, I was able to articulate not only the advertisement, but the target audience, um, and then the education process that would systematically help them feel understood, remove limiting beliefs and install empowering ones. And, and that was the process of the marketing system between the targeting on Facebook, the ad, the landing page, um, the qualification process that would generate these leads in such a way that that person would be warmed up and educated and interested in pursuing the exact solution that this agent could offer. Um, and so that was the process. It, it, it was, it was, it goes back to that, just that constant reflection and consideration. If I do one thing, it's, to, it's, it's, it sounds so simple, but it's to think, what does, what does everybody involved need, want, desire, and how do, how do I create such a, an interaction between all parties that, that everyone would get what they want? And, and that's what successful marketing is, 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 is you want them to buy a product. Well, you know, the biggest mistake that, that, that I think people have in marketing is that they communicate through the lens, through the, the language of product and the prospect is communicating through problem. And, and that's like Chinese and English. You can't talk 
each other, at each other from product and problem. And so most uh, people in business don't know how to translate their product into problem so that the prospect would feel understood and say, this is, they're talking to me, this is my problem, this is what I need. And they would walk down that journey. You can think of a timeline uh, at the left side be problem and the right side be product. And you need to get them to walk down that path. And what do they need to know at each step of the journey so they can willfully um, and uh, walk down that, that journey towards your product? Um, you can't just communicate from the language at each end. You have to find the translation of the journey between. And, uh, and so I had to engineer that with my with that initial client. That's what I did with everybody up until that point. It's just I couldn't find the process where we could create that undeniable truth of an outcome. Um, and in this case, we could. How do you narrow that gap between problem and product? Is it just edu- is it just knowledge about that customer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, there is there is a um, for me a, a gifting uh, an innate talent uh, to, for the ability to do that translation. But I think so many people can learn that process just by under, understanding the psychology of of human beings and 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 realizing like and it's it's just. It's, it, it's, it's really the process. And because I'm a third party, I'm often, you know, doing it on behalf of somebody else. I just don't have this ego driven connection to the product nor the problem. And I can just say, well, objectively speaking, someone has to believe this to be true, regardless of whether you want them to or not to move towards your product. And so I think that's what, what struggle, so many business owners struggle is because they can't get objective They They have too much bias. You know, they, they want to say, well, you know, my product is good because it is right. That's effectively how simple they try to communicate about it. I was like, well, you have an incredible uh, information bias and overall general bias as to why you're so good. The, 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 the prospect with the problem doesn't know what that means to them. And really what you need to uh, get any prospect to answer is what does this mean to me? Right. And that's the translation. How do I get your product to be presented in a way where that prospect would instantly understand what does this mean to me? What, what does this mean to my problems? What does this mean to what I experience? What would this do for me? And, um, and I, I, if I could tell one person, it's like uh, have real empathy for your, for your prospect and try to remove all bias from your point of view. Cause that's the struggle for most people. There's an ego about it. It's like, well, I'm just the best. Why, why are you the best? Tell me, tell me in a way that doesn't, that, 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 that ends in real, uh, uh, example, example, like, uh, you know, objective elements were the best because of this, this, and this, you can draw comparisons. You can actually defend it, um, without your bias. And, and if you can do that, you can probably market it well too. Um, and, and it will make, help you make your product better. I mean, that was the process of reflection for me. You know, if you can make a product that people want to come back to it over and over again and tell everyone they know about it, all you have to do is tell the story of your, your, your experience. You don't have to create some, fancy marketing tactic or anything like that. So this strategy I'm talking about to build a successful and, and hyper growth business is, is you know, solves for marketing too, right? It, it solves for, it solves for it. I mean, we, you know, I haven't touched my own Facebook advertising in six, seven months because all I'm doing is just telling the story of what we do for people. Right. And that this process of reflection, it's kind of meta, right? That, that I was talking about how I built my own product in my own business and went from, you know, general insurance to the subset of insurance to the super, super subset, this niche of a niche of a niche. Like you don't get there in one step. For me, it was, you know, nearly a two-year process of constant reflection. But always I was asking is, how does this make my prospect feel? 
What do they really want? And sometimes that was willing to have the hard conversation of, of what do they want versus what do they need? And sometimes how are those in conflict and not saying yes to what they want? Because I know at a human level, um, what they really need is in conflict what they say they want right now. What they want right now is not what's going to give them what they want um, ultimately. And so is being willing to take a leadership position for your clients too sometimes. But I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, you know, basically that, that was me leaving certain niches that uh, objectively we delivered results, but we didn't like how they delivered. And, and, you know, it's why we didn't, we stopped doing property and casualty insurance because the economics just didn't make sense. And, you know, on the surface in the short term, it felt really good because of the high volume of, of opportunity coming at you and all these things. But at the end of the day, it just the, the calculation didn't work. And so you would just get mad three months from now. So I'm just not going to say yes now. So you're not mad three months from now either. Um, and it's like those hard decisions that you make when you're reflecting and iterating your product. Um, and and that, that, that process of doing it to bring customers to you is the same you're almost doing it with your product. So your product does the work for you. If your product could be so clear and make your, your prospects feel understood, then, then your marketing becomes way simpler. You know, the more complex the marketing is because the product's complex and you have this massive bridge to build between problem and product. But if you can make your product be very acutely tied to your prospect's problem, it's much simpler to, to sell it because clarity is easily achieved from your prospect. I think this is a great segue into our next bucket of conversation around mindset. And you talked about this two-year period of reflection and iterating in order to get to where you are today. For you personally, was that a period of time where you had self-doubt and questioned whether this was ever going to work out and thought, maybe I should give up? Or are you somebody that was able to push through that without those difficulties? It's it's not easy. Um, it's not easy to, God. <laughs> to 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 push to push through. I could tell you the only way that you you know this seems a bit cliche to say, but the only way that you fail is quit. Otherwise, it's all just a lesson or a sequence of lessons. And so that is a truth that I hold deeply. Um, and so I was never going to quit, but it, but I was always going to find a way. But but there were many points along that journey that I wasn't very clear on the way. I certainly wasn't as clear as I am now um, because I've closed the loop on, on saying no, because, you know, we talked about you, you, you taste as many things until you close the loop and you get that undeniable, you know, result that people want to come back over and over again and tell everyone and they know about it. Like when you get to that, that feedback uh, on what you're delivering as a service, you go all in on that and say no to everything else. That's what allows you to start scaling. And, and so, it, 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 it's, it's after, I couldn't tell you the quantity, it's a sequence of saying no to everything else. Cause it's really interesting. You go all in on a particular niche, you will be shocked at the amount of people who will know your niche and still ask you to come do something for them. Right. I was all in on insurance and I had a uh, hundred million dollar a year e-commerce veterinary supply company that was like, I know you only do insurance, but if you could help me figure out my marketing and that's, that's, it's, it's a sign, but man, it's a hard thing to say, say no to, you know, a hundred million dollar company. I, I, I multiple, I had multiple of those scenarios and it's when you said no to those and then strengthened your yes to what you were all in on. And then you closed the loop, how it started to compound. That's when it started to become clear and started to become easier and the belief was built. But, but, you know, to your, to your point, you know, I, 
it, it's it's a hard journey, but it really was all driven by like my desire to create that 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 result. Otherwise, when you're selling these ambiguous engagements, these big companies are really just doing too too many things for too many people, too many types of services for too many people. When you're in like the service based business, um, nothing's measurable for them or you, and so you you never feel a sense of progress, right? You, you're just in this machine, this 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 hamster wheel. Um, and, and so, yeah, you can, you can make a ton of money doing it, but it's exhausting and it's unfulfilling because, because it's not measurable for either of you. And, and so I think that's what helped me stay the course because I made the money, thankfully, you know, maybe not everyone can say that, you know, I've, I've been not, you know, uh, very comfortable financially in, in sales careers and business before I went down this journey over the past two years. You know, I walked away from a multi six figure income to go all on this. You know, I took my, my income down because I was like, I, I reached the pinnacle of what that was working for somebody else and, and in sales and, and, um, and I was like, there's more, but the only way there's the, the level that I wish to have is, is if I'm in control and I'm in charge and I, I don't work inside of somebody else's ecosystem. So that was, that was just a, that was a reflection moment. It's like, well, you know, I can't do it in this vehicle anymore where I want to go and where I think I should be. I can't do it in this vehicle. So I, I went from multi six figures in income, um, to, to lower middle class at best, um, in, in, and to, to figure this out. And how I said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do a way that not only am I financially rich, you know, Tony Robbins talked about there's the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. And I had to do something in a way that I was structured. I, I was structured to, to, to gain both, to gain both, uh, to achieve financial success and be fulfilled. And so it had to be measurable, um, in many ways. And there's other parts of fulfillment too, but but I think on this journey, it was the pursuit of that that always kept me constantly reflecting and iterating and making sure that I'm getting to that undeniable truth of the outcome that we both receive. You're winning and so are we for our clients. What does fulfillment look like for you outside of the financial component? Contribution. Contribution. Um to, you know, and, 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 you know, my mission, my personal mission, which extends onto the business is, is to unlock the potential of everyone that I come in contact with, I get a chance to work with. And so that's, um, that's my team and my company and then what, what me and my team can do for our clients, but it's, it's anybody in my personal life as well. And, and, you know, cause that contribution, that unlock, that shift that I can help one person make you know, in, in their mindset to, to realize that life happens for us, not to us, which is really the premise that, that, uh, it's all, it's all a gift and it's how we choose to, to perceive any of these inputs, any of our circumstances, what they can mean to our future, to enable us, to help us grow, to, uh, to, to, to better our lives. Even if they're, they're challenging at times, um, we can be better for it. If, if we believe life happens for us, not to us. And, and, and if I can, that as an example or principle, if I can share that with other people and contribute to people in their life to unlock their potential and how they see the world, um, then, then I would be fulfilled. Um, and so, um, you know, uh, financial success buys you time. And, and, and I think the, the time that you're allotted gives me greater opportunity to pull a platform to contribute. Um, and so, and, and the other piece is growth, you know, I think, uh, you know, happiness is, is, um, 
is is growth, right? If you're growing, if you're you're moving on, and 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 you're you're solid in your perspective and, and reflective of of that growth. Like I think some people don't check in with themselves and say, "Man, where was I last year? Where was I last week? Where was I last month?" Um, and and for me, a, a journaling and just a gratitude practice really helps kind of anchor that that progress and therefore that happiness and joy, um, that fulfillment. Um, and, and those two things become somewhat of a, of a, a viral loop to each other. You know, your, uh, your, your fulfillment will, will continue to drive your achievement. Can um, you speak if, to that gratitude practice that you referenced? What does that look like? I have the simplest way that anybody could do it, uh, or that I would recommend anybody get started is just go get the five minute journal. Um, you probably get on Amazon and, and, um, if they're not in your country, I'm sure they ship. Otherwise, <laughs> what you are know, you saying I, about Canada, man? No, I know Amazon's <laughs> Canada. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about anybody listening. Um, so, uh, I love it cause it's so simple. And, and, uh, I think some of us, when we try to implement new habits, like, you know, the achiever's mind tends to overcomplicate it. And, uh, you know, um, the, the best habit is the one you stick with, uh, you know, the, um, they say that about, you know, the best, the best fitness program, the best diet is the one that you can be consistent with. And so the thing I love about the five minute journal is just wonderfully simple five minutes. If you did it twice a day, the morning and night, um, elements of it and where it just is prompts and you just answer these prompts. And, you know, one of the first one is what are you grateful for? It's three items, three lines. You fill it out. You know, what would make today great? Um, maybe three things of accomplishments and then, you know, an affirmation. And, and then, you know, I, I, uh, I don't beat myself up to, to overcomplicate it. I don't try to make that an area of achievement or measurability. Um, success is, 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 um, is binary in those types of tools. Did I do it? And if I did it, I won. Um, and not how I did it, how good did I do it? And so sometimes, you know, my affirmation today is I'm proud of how I will show up today. And, you know, um, the, the gratitude is, um, you know, I learned this from Tony Robbins. He, you know, he talked about how so many of the astronauts who went to the moon, they came back and they became uh, depressed and alcoholics and these terrible things. And I think the, the simple deduction he made was, um, it's because they, they, they accomplished this thing that so many people would never achieve this incredible feat of flying into space and landing on the moon and they came back and they had no sense of adventure. And it's, it's because they lost the adventure in a, in a breeze that hits your face. The sun rise, the sun set, the adventure of someone else's smile or just the proximity to someone you love. And, and so one of the things that I'm focused on when I'm expressing my gratitude is I have gratitude um, in the big things and the small things. So I can have gratitude in all things. And, and so I always try to balance that you know, those three items is, is something has to be incredibly small. Um, you know, it's, it's the, and, and, and when you do that, it, it, it creates your focus. Like you just start focusing, you know, I, I, I try to get outside every day and just do something, you know, a walk or whatever, something simple. And, and I find with that practice, you know, I'm, I'm now on a hiking trail and I literally hear the bird and I say, that bird is singing for me today. It is, it, and, and, and it's so it's silly, it's simple, but it's like, it's like when you, you start to look at the world and now, you know, gratitude and fear cannot coexist. You know, when you're trying to conquer new things, you know, fear will, will definitely be something you dance with. And if you want 
the antidote to fear, it's gratitude. And when you, if you can find wonder and magic in the bird chirping the day before for you on the trail, that phone call you need to make, um, as simple as it sounds, will become a lot easier because you're, the birds are still going to be chirping after that phone call. You know, your your spouse, your friend will still give you a smile next time you see them. Hopefully, if not, <laughs> be grateful. You don't be know grateful. my friends. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, gratitude is an incredible anecdote to fear, and 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 the way you build that up is and dig that well of of, of gratitude in your life is is to reflect on it daily. You're obviously somebody that has such mental strength. That's a sense that I get. What are some of those mindsets that you use to succeed in any part of your life, business and more generally? All right, so I've shared some of them to, you know, uh, gratitude and fear cannot coexist is a, is a great one. And another one, if it's to be, it's up to me. Um, I think that comes from this idea. Another one that, you know, they all kind of blend together in my mind, but an, another principle, a credo I live my life by is, um, attitude is a choice is not a product of your circumstance. You know, all suffering is our perspective of the external world. It is a choice that we make. And so we can choose to live in a beautiful state, you know, and Tony Robbins talks a lot, a lot, a lot about that. And so if we realize just how much we are controlled in control of how we show up by how we just choose to perceive the world, we choose the attitude, the state that we feel, we, we don't feel depressed. We do depress. And I, this isn't me standing against or being against the idea of, of clinical and diagnosed and, you know, depression, but so many people, especially in the early onset of these things have a choice to shift their perspective and to say, you know, and when I say we do depress, if you just think about, and I learned this from, from Tony Robbins, if you think about when you're, when you're feeling down, where are your shoulders? How is your breath? What is the shape of your face? And all of these things, if you wanted to get depressed right now, everybody listening could, they could, they could you could do depressed, just slouch your shoulders, shallow your breath, droop your eyes, change your, 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 you know, your cheek muscles, right? You could get sad. You could, you could do depressed. And if that is true, you can also do something magical. You can do excited. You can do a beautiful state. Um, and, and as all, all the thing, great things in our life, they come from that beautiful state and we're in complete control of it. Um, sometimes it's harder. And, and just as we need to, you know, develop our strength to, to, to pick up heavier loads. We need to develop our muscles around our, our state management and our control that, that we could, could wield that power in the hardest of circumstances. And, um, and, and that is, I think the most valuable skill you could, you could develop is, is to realize how, how in control you really are in how you show up to the world and then, and what you, you know, choose to act with um, that state and, and that power and, you know, what you choose to act on and, and where you choose to go with it um, just becomes more and more magical. And so, um, yeah, that I think, I think it, everything comes down to with, with that, like that, 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 you know, just that positive mental attitude, but those are like the practices, right? You know, it's it, Tony talks about, it, it's like, he, I don't believe in, you know, the, that BS of, no weeds, no weeds, no weeds. And you're just staring at a pile of weeds on the ground. That's not what positive attitude is. It's like, you know, um, if there are weeds, they're not going to change how I feel about my life today, you know? And uh, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. doesn't mean I don't get mad, you know, I mean, you know, put that out there, but it's how quickly I can shift out of that when I recognize it, you know, how I can constantly be aware of what am I making this mean? Um, does it serve me? 
And uh, if it doesn't, um, what can I shift to? What, 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 what state, what belief, what emotion, what physiology, like, you know, cause if you want to be in a powerful state, you know, it's scientifically proven, put your, put your hands on your sides, stand tall, like Superman, Superwoman, um, your testosterone will rise in your body if you hold that position for two minutes. Um, and so there are, it's scientifically proven that there's, there's a way to physically move, you know, um, try to be pissed off and jump up and down and jumping up and down. It's just, it's impossible. You can't do it because your body is, uh, um, you know, the physiology leads your, uh, you know, emotional states. And so you can shift out of any of these destructive states. Um, and you know, these are probably the principles that have led me to where I'm at because, um, you know, uh, doing what, what we've done in business and in life isn't easy, but the difference between me and anybody else who wants it is that I haven't given up. Um, and I have an incredible thirst for education and implementation because knowledge isn't power. Um, it's potential power. Um, it's not until it's applied that it becomes powerful. And sometimes it needs to be applied through an iterative process where you develop your application of it such that it would create the impact you wished it would. You know, so you can't just apply it the first time, you know, because learning's on the other side of doing. And uh, and we have to, sometimes the reps are ugly ones, but they build strength nonetheless. And so. Um, well, if I you've seen me in the gym, then every rep is ugly. Yeah, but it's all, it's all building strength. So it doesn't matter how you look <laughs> doing it. I want to wrap up here with a final question around what do you think is holding you back from even higher levels of success and not just in business, but in your relationships, in your life, on this path that you're on towards personal growth? I, I think it's, I think it's a couple things. Um, they actually probably all come back to one thing, which is, is transparent communication. There's this principle I learned in relationships um, called covert contracts, which is something, you know, this idea that we have expectations that we often hold over other people um, and we'll enforce that expectation without ever communicating it. Um, and it leads to a destruction in, in relationships, whether they be romantic or business or whatever, you can see this unfold. And, and the anecdote to that is just that transparent communication, but it's hard, right? It's hard to be honest. And so, um, and so, but it's a muscle nonetheless, it's another skill to develop. And so for me, it's, it's just having more transparent, honest communication with, with people personally and professionally, um, so that we can all. Uh, go further, faster together. We can, um, you know, I can, you know, receive that communication, but I'll also give it so that I may be able to uh, unlock the potential of other people. And sometimes, you know, that, that resistance to communication, you know, on the business side, the biggest thing holding me back would be, would be um, delegating um, more to people and, 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 and getting them to, to step up and, and be independent in, in, you know, pursuing challenges to overcome and, and, and bringing solutions to them. Um, it's because it's because of my, my resistance to, to having ambiguous conversations that we don't necessarily know the direction we're going, but we can at least start the conversation. And then in personal relationships, it's the same. It's always being clear of, Hey, this is, this is, these are my boundaries. This is, this is what I believe. Are we on the same page? Hey, I'm sorry. Um, you know, and having that, that, that humility too, to, to have the, 
the boundaries and the apologies, you know? And so for me, it's just, it's continuing to develop myself to be a, a more and more effective communicator. Cause I think, uh, everything else is, if I just be consistent around my, uh, my, my humble desire to continue to learn, you know, in, in, in leadership, um, um, you only have to know two things to to continue to not be outgrown by your organization, and it's just this it's this management of ego, and and I think is knowing that I don't know, and believing that I'll know more tomorrow. Well, Jim, your humbleness inspires me to be more humble and not so braggadocious and. I want to thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with us. You are somebody that has not only built a really incredible business, but built an incredible human being. And so thank you for sitting down with us today and for the listeners. If you want to learn more about Jim, you can find him personally on LinkedIn at Jim Fisher. There's only one. Just kidding. There's a thousand. And you can also find Juicebox on their website at juiceboxny.com. That's J-U-C-E-B-O-X-N-Y. Jim, my friend, thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for more stories from successful entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, and sports and medical moguls. Please know that I've got your back and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this episode, then please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find Strive Accelerator on Instagram at Strive Accelerator and find show notes and all of our free content on our website at striveaccelerator.com. I always want to hear feedback from listeners, so please shoot me an email at jared at striveaccelerator.ca.